Welcome to the Hotspot. I'm your host, Armand Desfouli Arjamandi. Today, we have a discussion with James Fayal and returning guest Tashar Jain about Helium's token economics and our new proposal, HIP20. James is the founder and CEO of Zest T, longtime Helium community member and part of the family that created Nowi Sensors. Nowi Sensors is a recently announced Helium partner that builds water monitoring sensors for property owners. And Tashar is co-founder and managing partner at Multicoin Capital, a firm that invests in groundbreaking crypto startups, including Helium. James, Tashar, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Armand. Excited to be on here again. Yeah, me too. Excited to have both of you. So today we're going to be talking about something that James, Tashar, and I have been working on for a little while, and that's HIP20. For those of you who aren't familiar, a HIP is a Helium Improvement Proposal, which is an open source document that suggests an improvement to the Helium network. Anyone can write and submit a HIP for approval, and you can view all the currently open HIPs and submit your own at github.com slash helium slash HIP. That's H-I-P. The process of approving HIPs is managed by community member Jamie on behalf of DY, the Decentralized Wireless Alliance. And HIP20 has already been approved for discussion since it was introduced a couple of days ago. But before we dive into the details of HIP20, I want to take a moment to explain the current Helium tokenomic model at a high level for listeners who may not be familiar with it. Helium's tokens, HNT, are minted in a decentralized manner on a continuous basis and delivered to miners who create challenges, participate in proof of coverage, transfer packets for devices on the network, and participate in consensus. There is also a share of tokens reserved for holders of HST, also known as security tokens. These are tokens that give Helium and its institutional investors a perpetual share of the tokens minted in exchange for their work or capital. The economic model of HMT is called Burn and Mint Equilibrium, or BME. Each month, 5 million tokens are minted and distributed to miners and HST holders. The token supply increases perpetually in order to pay network participants for the value they create. In order to counterbalance an ever-increasing supply, HNT is burned in order to create data credits, which are used to pay for data transfer on the network. HNT is also burned as a fee for any transaction on the network, including adding new hotspots and sending payments. The idea behind BME is that increased usage of the network will cause more tokens to be burned over time, eventually offsetting the mint so that roughly zero new tokens are added to the supply each month. This state is called equilibrium. The BME design acts as a continuous seesaw inflating the token supply when the price is overvalued and deflating it when the price is undervalued, always tilting back towards equilibrium. So now that we have that basis as a starting point, James, you are one of the first community members I saw argue against the BME model and pushing for reducing inflation. What were some of the flaws that you saw in BME and how did you begin to think about fixing them? Sure. Um, so I don't think I saw a flaw with BME itself. Uh, what I saw was a flaw with the current implementation of BME. Uh, I, I think it had a bit of a um, idealistic uh, bend where the assumption would be that there would be, you know, zero speculation in the market that, you know, price would eventually abide by. The that equilibrium price. Uh, in reality, um, much like a stock um, on the stock market, whenever a uh, project, especially in crypto, uh, has signs of success or you know is succeeding, there's always going to be a, a relatively significant premium on the price of that token. Uh, as a result, in reality, there is very little chance that you'll actually ever hit that equilibrium with a set um, emission schedule of 5 million HMT per month. Um, so I started to think through, A, what the problem there was. And, and, and the problem um, for me was pretty apparent, which is uh, that leads to 
an infinite supply of uh, HNT on the market over time. And uh, the BME equation itself is beautiful, but when you start thinking of a BME equation and then also an infinitely increasing uh, total supply of tokens, the long-term economics of what that does to market cap and what that means in terms of, of, of Helium's market cap um, were troubling to me that you would essentially need to be able to assume that uh, the market cap of Helium could trend towards you know, infinite, which I, I just don't think is the case. And in and, and lieu of that, you would um, eventually uh, start you know, really burning a significant um, amount of HNT and, and and possibly drive total HNT supply to zero. Um, all this is sort of academic and theoretical, but uh, it was it was troubling to me. There aren't too many projects in crypto that sort of rely on not only infinite supply but um, a very rapidly inflating supply. Uh, you know, we're talking about zero to. Uh, 60 million HMT in the first year, 120 in the second. Um, we're not talking about five, 10% per year. We're talking about, you know, very, very high um, inflation rates. So um, I was talking to some of the other community members and uh, one of them, um, Joey had uh, sort of teased the idea of, okay, well, what if rather than doing this set inflation or uh, emission schedule, we switched it to a continuously declining emission schedule. And uh, I started putting together sort of models of that and proposing that um, not as a full HIP, but um, sort of as a, a light proposal in the Discord channels of, okay, what if we decreased uh, emissions by 10, 15% per year, um, so on and so forth. Um, there was a lot of arbitrary numbers in there um, but the end game of the uh, percentage decline sort of made sense. So we, I eventually uh, connected with the two of you guys to start talking about, um, is there a better model that feels less arbitrary and maybe has some precedence in the crypto market? Um, and the obvious one is halvings. Uh, like Bitcoin and um, many other um, currencies. Uh, but we saw a issue pretty quickly around what having, happens when halvings get you to, in essence, a zero emissions rate. Um, and I can't remember who even first came up with it, but the idea of what if it's a net emission that we're targeting where you aren't necessarily targeting exactly, say, you know, a million HNT per year um, gross emissions, but you're targeting a million HNT um, increase of the supply. And the way to do that is that you take what was burned over that period to um, the helium burn model, um, burning HNT to DCs, and you add that back to the target inflation rate. So if you have, you know, a million HNT target inflation rate and you burn um, 100,000 HNT over that year, you're actually emitting 1.1 million. So the, the end result is, um, you know, exactly a 1 million HNT increase uh, to supply. Um, and I think those were sort of the key components that we sort of quickly circled around and, and, and spent, um, I, I don't know, a few weeks sort of debating and polishing um, the project um, between us. And, you know, as you guys know, there was a lot of other people involved. Yeah, that, that pretty much covers it. And there were definitely a, a lot of people involved in uh, bringing this effort together. Um, and Tushar, you actually took up the labor, laborious task of writing the majority of the pros in HIP20 um, and, you know, in response to various input to, uh, from people we circulated it to. So do you think you could lead us through uh, the main points uh, of the HIP20 proposal? Absolutely, happy to. So, you know, the most common question that we get when new members join the Helium community is what's the max supply of HNT? 
And that's because most crypto protocols took inspiration from Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's primary claim to fame is the 21 million Bitcoin fixed supply cap. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. And that gives them scarcity and that gives them value. Uh, however, like James said, the Helium protocol was originally designed with a burn and mint equilibrium model, which at the time did not feature a hard supply cap for HMT. Um, and the community has consistently suggested that this idea be revisited and, and reevaluated. And James had been one of the most vocal people about that uh, in order to make Helium and HMT more understandable to a wider group of the crypto um, marketplace and, and the crypto audience. So the proposal was really building on those conversations and the existing Helium economics and, and proposing that. So at first we just thought, what if we reduce the supply of HNT um, and eventually get it to a hard cap and there's no more HNT being mined? But that doesn't really work because to ensure that the network continues to function properly, the Helium protocol incentivizes hotspot operators with HNT mining rewards. If there's no HNT left to be mined, then it, hotspot operators have no incentive to operate their hotspots. So uh, we need to have HNT mined in perpetuity in order to facilitate the proper functioning of the network. Under the current economics, the Helium protocol mints 5 million HNT per month in perpetuity in order to adequately incentivize hotspot hosts and owners for providing wireless coverage and transmitting IoT data. Now, I was there when we were originally designing and architecting the Helium economics pre-network launch. And we really did think very hard and, and try to have some sort of fixed cap on HNT, but we couldn't find a mechanism that would make it work. Uh, because of this problem, we needed to have perpetual mining rewards to incentivize network or hotspot hosts. But after about a year of research and thinking about this and lots of thoughtful questions and comments from community members, uh, we came upon a realization, uh, and, and I would call this a crypto economic innovation, and it's called net emissions. Um, net emissions is what James was describing earlier, where Instead of targeting a gross number of HNT minted, we target a net number of HNT minted. And this means that we can have the existing burn and mint economics live in harmony with a fixed cap or maximum supply of HNT. And so this is a really big breakthrough in my opinion. And there's no other uh, system which has this feature yet. I, I think that the introduction of a hard cap on HNT supply will make Helium more understandable to the broader crypto community and it will create future scarcity and a new incentive to hold HNT. And if there's more demand for HNT, then hotspot owners have more incentive to deploy hotspots. And if hotspot owners deploy more hotspots, then the network will continue to grow its coverage, which will ultimately help meet the demands of the end users who want to use a network for wireless connectivity. That's a, that's a great overview. Um, so let's, let's dive into some of the specifics and, and sort of create a comparison here for um, the listeners who may not be as comfortable with the terminology of, of net and gross emissions. Let's create a comparison of what happens, let's say at year one, year five and year 20 uh, under each scenario. So. I'll start with where we are now, which is just after year one. So the plan was to mint 60 million tokens in year one. We didn't quite get there because of a lot of slowdowns in the chain early on that were not made up for. So we actually minted quite a lot less tokens than that. I think we're currently at, uh, I think at year one, we reached, I don't know, maybe 48 or 50 million, somewhere around there. Um, and at year five, if you just follow the burn and mint equilibrium, uh, you get 300 million tokens in the supply. And then at year 20, you get 1.2 billion tokens in the supply. Now that supply can be deflated by burning mechanisms like transaction fees and data credit usage on the network, which is the primary burning mechanism that sort of drives the value back into the token. Um, but what we're proposing really changes 
the curve of token supply. So under HIP20, you have a token supply of 180 million at year five. Uh, the same, the year one would be the same, 180 million at year five. And then at year 20, you have about 239.6 million coming up to a hard max of 240 million. So nothing about the way that the tokens are split amongst the different network participants changes. There's still the same splits that you see on the Helium website. The only thing that changes is the amount that's emitted over time goes down under HIP20. And it's important to note that the supply can still be reduced by the burn mechanism in both models. So in pre-HIP20, the current model, supply is reduced directly every time tokens are burned, those, po those tokens are permanently removed uh, from the supply. Under HIP20, you have a slightly different scenario where under a certain cap, which we call the net emissions cap, your tokens are reminted and repaid to the miners. And as Tushar said, this is a really important innovation that is kind of, I think, unprecedented in the crypto space. And it sort of solves the issue of, you know, what happens to Bitcoin in 2140 when there are no Bitcoins left to be minted and transaction fees aren't high enough, right? Um, you're going to need to have some sort of uh, way to pay the miners to continue to continue on going. And we have this mechanism of data credit usage that drives continue continuous value into the system uh, by basically device operators paying the entire network in order to use it. Um, and so what are some of the what are some of the changes that miners would see? Like let's take it from the miner perspective. I'm I own hotspot, you know, I'm making maybe 20 HNT per day. I expect my uh, you know mining rewards to go down over time as more hotspots join the network and the share is spread more amongst all the hotspots in the network. Um, so how does the miner scenario look uh, between how things are now and how things would be under HIP20? So under the, the current model, what you would see is uh, your mining rate sort of decrease um, relatively linear with the increase in the number of hotspots. So uh, removing security tokens and, and things like that, if, uh, if there are a million hotspots and there's 5 million per month, um, each uh, gateway will average uh, about five HMT per month. Um, now under HIP 20, uh, let's say you again have a million um, after the first halving, you have about 2.5 million um, net emissions. Um, rather than the five per month, uh, it would be more like uh, 2.5 uh, per month after a year um, after 2021 through uh, 2023, which are the, the dates for the uh, August 1st of those years are the dates for the, the halvings. Um, and now that, that may sound um, uh, to be an anti-incentive, um, but in reality, uh, what should happen under these economics is that the the market reacts very heavily to a capped emissions. It doesn't really know how to price a crypto that is uh, infinite supply. You know, like what is the value of something if the quantity of it is is infinite? It's you know um, the the opposite limit of that is is zero. Um, so the market would be expected to price that in. Um, you know, I think we've got some early indication that the market quite likes this proposal. Literally within like an hour of the proposal going out, a pretty um, consistent um, downward trend on the price turned around and it's, you know, just about to break a dollar again. Um, so if you model out um, from like a classic economics, financial pricing modeling of uh, HNT prices, um, the effect in the short to medium run of the price of HNT should be, you know, a magnitude increase, multiple magnitude increases. Um, it, if, if you think about the BME model and where helium could go, um, 
the pieces are there in the equation to have a triple, to have a quadruple digit token. Um, and so while your HNT mining might go down, the dollar equivalent of that mining um, or the Bitcoin equivalent or whatever you want to relate it to uh, should go up pretty dramatically. So the miners should see a net increase in um, dollar equivalents that they're mining at any given um, at any given period. Um, now, uh, just to hit on something that sort of ties into something we said before, uh, one of the other concerns I had was uh, I work with uh, a company run by my, my brother and my father called Naui Sensors that makes um, a line of sensors with a, currently they have a water meter sensor um, in the market. And what we realized is that what looks like good distribution or good density um, was not really uh, a reliable connection to the network if you're outside of, you know, even in parts of New York or, or parts of Austin or parts of San Francisco, uh, the, the connection to the network was spotty. And that makes it almost impossible to build a company on um, that system. And that's when I realized oh, this, this, you know, the number of hotspots we need in the United States might not be, you know, 50,000 or 100,000, it might be a million or it might be 5 million. Um, the density that they need for their nodes to work is somewhere in the approx uh, proximity of um, a hotspot every 0.3 miles. And they, they need um, at least single redundancy, if not double redundancy. So um, I started to realize that okay, this market is likely going to be won or lost um, in the next few years. Um, you know, building up a network um, that has uh, uh, large scale corporate usage is not something that can necessarily happen slowly. If you, if, if you don't build yourself and in, 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 in turn the network into the standard for the market, um, you're likely gonna see an incumbent come in, wash you out or, you know, another network that has better economics come in and, and, and wash the network out, in which case the networks were zero. Um, and uh, that's where the realization of, okay, the next three years, two, three, five years, whatever number you want to put on it, is the most important period when it comes to heavily incentivizing um, uh, gateway distribution. So how can we front load these incentives um, so that we can multiply the demand for gateway distribution over the next few years to de-risk um, the platform from you know, never reaching a critical mass of uh, ubiquity in the market. Um, it's still important to incentivize long tail gateways, um, which is why the net emission structure was put in place. Um, but none of that really matters if, if, if the network does not hit a critical mass and become a usable network, at least in, I look at it on a national level, you might not need international, that's up for debate a bit, but there's very few large scale corporations that, you know, would roll out a major um, effort for, you know, just one city. So you really need to at least build ubiquity in one, um, what I would say, national market. Um, and so... Yeah, that's um, that's from a high level what I think a, a gateway owner will see. Um, you know, our goal is incentivize more gateway owners while at the same time increasing the dollar ROI of gateway owners um, in the mid uh, short to midterm. Um, and 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 you know the need for ubiquity in, in a large scale market is why those those next few years are are so important. I think that was really well said. Um, let's take it back to, as you were talking about the minor economics, because I think this is so important. And I really got into it with a community member on Discord last night about this and about exactly how the network is being funded right now. Uh, it's important to make the distinction. There are two separate things. There's Helium Inc. and there's the network. Helium Inc. sort of did all the work to get the network built, is continuing to do great work to get the network built built the first hardware, but now they're looking to sort of detach and allow the network to stand on its own two feet. Part of that was bringing Rack in and allowing the third-party miners, which are half the cost of the original Helium hotspot, 
And then going further and allowing even more third parties to come in and make compatible hardware and allowing people to create their own hardware. How is the company Helium Inc. funded? It's funded by venture capitalist investors. How is the network funded? Well, that's a sort of different and interesting question. And you could argue that the network is funded through the token, which I think would be a fair argument, right? People buy a miner for US dollars in order to host a miner in some location, create coverage and reap the rewards. Those rewards are HNT, which many miners, most miners probably look to turn back into US dollars or some other preferred currency at some point in order to get a return on that investment. Well, in order for them to be able to sell HNT, there has to be a buyer, right? There has to be someone who's willing to say, hey, I think the future value of HNT far exceeds the current value. I'm gonna buy up and hold as much as I can. These speculators are essentially funding the network, whereas people who are buying miners and deploying them are building the network. And so you really need both of these two entities or two, I would say groups to function in um, an optimal way and sort of create a balance between one another where no, not one group is benefiting more than the other, but rather they're creating a sort of symbiosis where the speculators value the token enough to keep paying for it and keep paying more over time for it. Uh, and the miners need to continue receiving tokens in order to fund future network development. And the tokens should be worth more over time because as more miners come online, the amount of tokens you're gonna get is less. So you want the token price to go up to keep the ROI in line. And this is a really, really important, critical thing that we, we attach attack in this hip, which is minor ROI. It's really, really important that whatever miners are available on the market are going to be at such a price that someone can buy it and expect a return within some reasonable amount of time. Right now, that amount of time is very good. It's like one, probably less than three months, maybe even less than one month. Um, but you know, as time goes on, the network is going to grow and grow and you want it to, you want to incentivize people to build out as fast as possible. Um, you also want to make sure that over time, as more miners are online, that the cost of building a miner goes down so that, uh, as the tokens are increasingly divided amongst all the miners, miners can still get a return on their investment. Um, so with that in mind, Tushar, did you want to, uh, go a little bit more into that side of sort of the balance uh, and the minor economics and why it's so important to have miners uh, have a positive ROI. Absolutely. Uh, miners are, are rational people. They want to do the thing that makes a, a good ROI, right? Um, and so as long as the ROI is there, people will continue mining. The same thing is true in every other blockchain system that has mining. I think James hit on a really good point, which is time is of the essence. We do not have a decade to go build this network and hope that everything works out. Um, I think one major side effect, a positive side effect of HIP20 is it front loads rewards. And it does that through introducing happenings, which mean that the amount of net HNT created will decrease over time. And that means that if you wanna get the best mining ROI, the best time to do that is now. Um, and that is a very deliberate incentive. We want people to grow the network as quickly as possible. We want the network to be live all over the world in every major metro area in the next year or two. We want to have a density of coverage that is sufficient to support all of the various use cases that the network can enable. And the way to do that is to give people the incentive to do that. And so I really think that the scarcity that's introduced by HIP20 um, it, it is very helpful. And I think that the front loading of rewards is critical to helping make sure that miners are incentivized to move very quickly, to deploy the network very quickly, and to help us get to a point of global relevance as quickly as possible. Um, one other point that I want to make on miner ROI is one of the things we looked at was the hardware cost. What we're seeing is that... Um, Conservatively, we expect that hotspot costs drop by 50% every two years. Uh, we know this because two years ago when hotspots uh, you know, really started becoming a, a concept that we were starting to price, uh, we, they were $500. I was one of the first people to buy a hotspot. I paid $500 plus tax. 
Um, and now hotspots are available for $250 in 2020. I think two years from now, we'll see hotspots at about the $100 level conservatively. It might happen faster. And I think four years from now, we'll see hotspots at the $60 level, uh, though that might happen faster too. And so one key thought that um, we had, and the reason why we have havings every two years is to give enough time for the hardware cost to decline such that um, the, the havings kind of line up with hardware cost declines. And if hardware declines in cost even faster, well, then that's even better for the miners. So, uh, you know, we see that as a net positive uh, as well. Just to piggyback on that, um, um, the first part of what he said is that um, much like any company, especially a high growth company, especially in the tech industry, um, that speculation is always what funds a company in the early stages before the product of that company can fund that company. So, you know, you might have investors that are speculating on the long-term value of that company. Uh, with Helium, again, with the infinite supply, that becomes a very sort of tricky equation for investors of, okay, what is this worth than this infinite limit, you know, thing? Um, by creating this limit, we're sort of reintroducing a incentive for investors to fund the early days. And I, I consider the early days anytime before we get to whatever this critical mass of density is that we need for, you know, let's say GE or, you know, whatever company wants to build a, a massive system on helium and spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars over, if not more over the, the network, um, that period needs to be funded by something other than DC usage. Now, once that's funded and once that's built out, you then have the opportunity to fund the network via the product, which is the data usage. Um, and this model really over the next 20 years allows for that shift, allows for a, a significant incentive for investors to front load their investment and, and fund a very expensive and a very expansive effort um, and then give the product time to fund the network in the long run. Yeah, so at this point, you've you both basically brought up the idea that this is sort of a, a zero or one proposition, right? It either works or, or it doesn't or, or it fails, right? Um, and that's, again, I wanna go back to the, the important distinction between Helium Inc and the network. Yes, as you were saying, venture capitalists, speculators fund the early stages of any company, right? Helium Inc was funded to a tune of $50 million in order to build all the technology uh, that was necessary for this network to exist. Now comes the real challenge, which is funding the network itself, um, which interestingly enough also has currently a market cap of around 50 million. So has kind of been funded to a similar tune uh, as the company. And that funding is gonna need to go on sort of indefinitely uh, until you know the value is being driven intrinsically into the token through burning and creating uh, data credits. Um, and so Tashara, could you touch a little bit more on what are the sort of success or failure scenarios that could uh, potentially happen with the Helium network? Sure, happy to do that. Um, I, I wanna comment a little bit on, uh, you know, why HNT exists and, and, and why there's a token, right? Uh, the token is here uh, for a few reasons, but one of the most important and the one that I wanna talk about today is it helps bridge the gap between the chicken and the egg. So everyone's familiar with the chicken or the egg problem, you know, what comes first? And that's very relevant to Helium. What comes first, the network or the devices that are gonna use the network? That's a really tough question. Uh, you, you need the devices in order to afford to pay for all of the network coverage. And if you don't have a network, no one's gonna put any devices on it. That doesn't make any sense. So what HNT does is it rewards the people who are building the network prior to there being devices on the network. And that's very, very important because without HNT, you would not have any reason to go build out this network until there were users using it 
and users wouldn't use it because it didn't exist yet. So this bridge is extremely important and it's why HNT exists, or, or at least a portion of the reason why. Um, and so when we talk about speculators going and uh, you know, looking at the, the HNT um, token, um, I think that it's important to keep in mind that that is what is funding the network growth. Um, and that's what's helping bridge that gap between the chicken and the egg. And helping those um, groups or, or those people better understand the token economics by introducing a fixed supply cap, because that's what logically makes sense to them and that's what they're used to, I think is net value accretive to the whole network and the network's growth uh, in, in total. So now to address our Armand's original question of uh, what are the success and failure cases of the Helium network? I think the failure case is pretty straightforward. It's that the experiment fails. That you know we find that actually um, that the incentive was not sufficient to go and build out this network um, such that it could be used, or we find that um, you know people don't actually want to connect their sensors and devices to the internet. And they would you know, rather do that through some other way or they don't want to do it at all. Um, and, and I think the failure cases are, are pretty straightforward and um, easy to understand. So let's focus some of the time on the success cases. I think the success case here is that we see a network which allows for default connectivity. Um, you know, if you think back and, and you know, maybe talk to your grandparents and ask them when they were younger, how many electric motors did they have? Or, or, and they could have probably counted them on one hand. They knew exactly you know, what had an electric motor in their life because it was a relatively new innovation. And you know, maybe there were like three or four. I think the same thing is gonna happen to internet connectivity that happened to electric motors. Now you can't count. I mean, I have one that literally all it does is roll my windows down in my car. There's four of those electric motors right there. You know, there, there's a, another little one on this fan that's blowing at me right now. You start taking it for granted. Um, and I think connectivity is going to be the same thing. Right now, how many devices do you own that are connected to the internet? Probably a handful. Maybe you have, you know, you have a laptop, you have a smartphone, you might have a tablet, maybe you have a, a smart TV, um, but that's about it. I think that what we're going to see in the future is you are going to have dramatically more 10x or 100x more devices which are connected to the internet and they all need a way to connect to the internet that's not reliant on you know ten dollar a month or uh, more expensive telecom companies providing really uh, you know just expensive cell phone plans um, and you're going to need something that has better range than wi-fi and so i think that's my, my big bull case for helium on the iot side um, and then as I've talked about on this podcast before, uh, on the last episode, uh, that, that I was on, I think the mega bull case in my mind for helium is, uh, as we expand helium to support more than just LoRaWAN and explore supporting things like 5g or, uh, 4g or even 3g cellular connectivity on public spectrum. I think that that can be very exciting and expand out the market size for helium significantly. If you're interested in that, I recommend checking out um, the episode that I did earlier. Uh, I won't rehash all of it, uh, but if you're interested, I, I think going back and giving that a listen would be a good idea. And on that note, if you're also interested in those efforts, you can go check out the Helium Wi-Fi channel in the Discord because there are already people working on adding the first secondary protocol to the Helium network. So that's really exciting. So let's talk about the implications of a big economic change like this, because we've discussed privately and publicly that, you know, this is a big change. It's not something that should be taken lightly or rushed through. I think it's really important that all relevant parties are on board, especially Helium Inc., especially the community members, the miners, investors. It's really important that, you know, this proposal that we dropped a couple of days ago really gets time uh, to be mulled over by the community. On the other hand, it's also important that we take decisive action 
um, in the case that we have such conviction that this is an essential change uh, and you know, will have a very positive impact for every participant in the network. So DUI right now is the managing uh, governing body for HIPS. And we are currently using something called rough consensus, which basically means in order for a HIP to be approved, uh, the community has to reach a rough consensus. Could, could either of you talk a little bit more? I think maybe Tushar, you, you might be the, the expert on this rough consensus idea um, about rough consensus and, and sort of the weight and gravity of economic changes and how often we'll want to make a change like this. Yeah, governance is a, is a pretty big topic. Um, and there's a variety of ways to do governance when it comes to crypto networks. Um, one way that's very popular uh, right now is called on-chain voting, where you just have people vote, it's one token, one vote, and you can vote for proposals in, in that method. This seems reasonable, um, and it, it's a good baseline kind of governance solution, but it has some shortcomings. Uh, and, and the primary shortcoming is it means that the largest holders of the token just control its direction forever. Uh, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's not necessarily very decentralized. Uh, and it can mean that a, a lot of power is concentrated in, in a few hands uh, forever. Uh, then there's another model of governance, which is kind of what I would call the Bitcoin model of governance, which is there is no governance. Nothing can ever change. Um, if you want to make any changes, everything is backwards compatible. Um, and literally, uh, you know, you can rely that Bitcoin will never change because they can't get to an agreement on anything. Uh, and then there's this third level of governance or third type of governance, which is very popular amongst um, major crypto networks like Ethereum or Zcash, which is called rough consensus. And that's what Helium uses as well. And the way that rough consensus works is anyone is allowed to bring a proposal. Um, anyone's allowed to comment on it. Everyone talks about it in the community. Then you have to judge based on the community, you know, do we have a significant majority of the important stakeholders on uh, in agreement um, on, on a specific proposal? And this is important to protect the rights of uh, you know, all of the variety of stakeholders. It shouldn't just be token holders, but also hotspot hosts, also the actual end users of the network um, it need to be thought about as well. Um, and it's also really important that this does not mean unanimous consensus. You can never get to unanimity. Um, and it's very easy to you know, spin up a troll account um, with a synonymous identity and just block anything from ever happening. So Rough consensus, I think, is the right approach for this stage in the Helium network because it means that you know, we can be agile enough to change and adapt with new information and new innovation, uh, but it does not mean that uh, you know, everything can change on a whim. Um, it does give you know, everyone in the community a significant voice in how things are done. Um, and while in the future, I would look forward to exploring you know, some interesting on-chain governance plans. Um, I, I don't think that that makes sense for the Helium network today. Right. And, and so with a big change like this, you know, it's ultimately up to rough consensus to uh, decide what will eventually happen, right? And we've seen this happen before. We, um, we made HIP10 happen. I think that was a month or two ago. I'm losing track of time these days, but... Um, we made HIP10 happen uh, very quickly as a community, and um, we expect that we will be using the same process uh, here. Although, you know, since the magnitude of the change is so much higher, we definitely want to not rush it and, and give time for the community to give their feedback. If you want to give your feedback on this proposal, you can hop into the Discord. There is now an individual channel per, per HIP. Um, so we have one just for this HIP. It's called HIP20 HNT uh, Max Supply. And definitely come in there and, and comment on the HIP. We, we want to talk to you. We want to help you understand it um, and hear your feedback because the only way we can create the best idea uh, or the best final product with this HIP is you know, if we have everyone's best ideas coming forward. 
So with that in mind, what are some of, what are some of the uh, parts of this hip that the community might want to comment on? What are some of the parameters that we might want to tune uh, before the hip is finalized? Um, so I think one that, this is a little bit wonky, but um, we have the net emissions uh, cap, which is how much um, of the burn in any given uh, epoch uh, or epoch or however you pronounce it, uh, uh, gets burnt or gets minted back into supply. Um, and we have it set for 34.24 HMT right now. That sounds very random, but in reality, what that is, is it's 1% uh, of um, the current uh, gross emission rate or about a max of 50,000 HMT per month. Uh, uh, so if you think about going to zero net emissions, what that would mean is that uh, the maximum um, gross emissions um, once burn is uh, included in the long run will be about 50,000 per month. Uh, so there's that number is something that can be debated. Um, possibly more important is whether that is a chain variable or whether it's built into the protocol itself. Um, if that's something we wanna debate in the future or if it's something that you know we really wanna put into stone um, would be a place for debate. Um, another sort of more obvious place is, is the two-year having schedule starting on the second year um, anniversary of the Genesis block, um, the right schedule. Um, I think that, you know, this is, I this was probably, as you guys can confirm, this was probably the, the, the biggest thing that we debated is what schedule makes sense. We talked about two-year having, talk about three-year havings. We talked about starting it, you know, not on the Genesis uh, anniversary. Uh, we talked about four-year havings and, and we sort of tried to balance the need for uh, that really uh, short-term incentive over the next two, three years to really build up the network when it's the most important, um, as well as, you know, what uh, theoretical maximum HMT number uh, we would like to see. You start going from, you know, two years to four years and you start going from, you know, 240 million theoretical max to, um, you know, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but, you know, something like 500 million or something crazy like that. It, it goes up sort of exponentially when you do those things. So I think the period of the halvings is, is important um, and then balancing that need for, you know, the one one or zero model of we're either going to win it or we're going to lose it in the next few years versus how much of a long tail do we want to have on net emissions to, you know, uh, incentivize uh, beyond just DCs for for gateways in the long run um, are, are are two of the major ones that uh, come to mind for me. Uh, Tushar, are there any additional points that you'd like to hit on? Um, so, in terms of talking about where the community's feedback would be most valuable on this hip. I recommend everyone take a look and read the hip. Um, you can find that on github.com slash helium slash hip, and then you'll see it there under hip 20. Um, and you can look at the rationale and alternatives section of that hip. Um, one piece that uh, I, I think we debated quite a lot was whether to have a gradual decrease in HNT emissions or a defined happening event. Um, we came to the conclusion that happening events are already well known and understood by the market, and they're extremely powerful psychological events um, and shelling points for the community at large. A gradual and smooth decrease in HT emissions is less likely to be understood or possibly even ignored completely. Um, and so there's sufficient evidence of the power of happenings from the systems like Bitcoin that the Helium community can learn from and build on. That was our view and, and why we proposed happenings, but uh, you know, there are arguments for the alternative as well. So I think that would be something that I would definitely want to encourage and, and welcome uh, community feedback on. Um, and then I also think that the cap on net emissions is going to be a very interesting um, process to set that number. For now, we propose setting it 
to uh, 34.24 HNT per epoch, uh, which is basically 1% of the current emission rate. Um, I do believe that that should be made into a chain variable, which can be adjusted via governance in the future. Um, it's impossible to forecast the precise market conditions, you know, 10 years in the future when the net emissions become really important. Um, and I, I think right now we have to put a number in there. Um, and I do believe that the number proposed is the right number to put in there. But net emissions are a very tiny portion of total mining in the current system. So um, it, it's just, it's not that important today. But 10 years from now, that's going to be really, really important. And we're going to want to make sure that we can adjust that given market information at that time. Yep. Yep. Many, many things uh, to be tweaked here. As you both uh, said, you know, we, we've come to these certain numbers. We've thought through them, the having scheduled the net emissions cap, any other parameter. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. I've definitely heard um, some community members uh, in favor of maybe three or halvings, although I haven't really heard uh, much of a, a rational argument as to why. Uh, similarly, with the two-year halvings that we present here, it's it's more of um, an intuitive feeling that it's right to have uh, to create growth as fast as possible, and also uh, two years after chain genesis, which was roughly August first, twenty nineteen. So the first halving would happen on August. First, 2021, and then every two years after that. That still gives people plenty of time to invest in miners before the halving happens and deploy them. And especially now that we have um, Calchip, who is allegedly uh, uh, able to distribute up to 10,000 uh, rack miners per month, you know, there should not be any supply issues, uh, at least within a couple months from now. So uh, all the incentives will be there. Hopefully miners, uh, if this proposal is approved, will see the incentives and, and understand the implications. And certainly um, the investors in the market are already starting to understand the implications. If this is passed, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that it's just a proposal as of now, I think people are sort of, sort of seeing the positive discussion, seeing the consensus and, and, and reacting positively to it. And just to take it back to the very beginning, Anecdotally, one of the things that you see, and, and, and you know, one of the things that's written in a, a sort of nicer way in uh, the motivation section of this hip here is like, go to Twitter and and and, and watch people uh, show HNT to their friends, and, and their friends reply and say, "Oh my God, this is so cool! What a great team! What a cool product!" And then you know they reply five minutes later, and they're like, you know, unlimited supply, lol, what? Um, and I think that can just that just sort of is a good reflection of um, the general sentiment uh, from the investor side um, about HNT. And that's a really, really key point that we look to address by, by issuing a fixed supply of around 240 million. Um, so yeah, I think we've done a good job of, of going over the hip in general, going over, you know, maybe what might need to be um, <clears throat> what we might need to get feedback on from the community. Um, you know, what, what, what is, what might be uh, a negative point? Uh, like what, what, what is the failure scenario for this hip look like if it's implemented? Honestly, if we had thought of this idea of net emissions before launching the network, we would have launched with this. I think this is a Pareto improvement to the helium economic protocol. Um, uh, Sorry, that, that's a bit jargony. Uh, Pareto improvement means better in every single dimension. Yeah, I think is um, I, I agree that you know the net emissions, um, uh, the thirty four point two four, that should be a chain bear, and I think that gives us just enough flexibility in the long run to um, make the adjustments that we need to make to de-risk uh, some of the long tail. Um, issues here, um, you know, as we've said again and again and again, uh, either this helium is going to be a success or it's not going to be a success. And if it's a, a success, um, the long tail issues, you know, there's really not that much to worry about because there's a lot of dollars going into the system. Um, 
you know, if it's not a success, it's not a success and that's not going to matter, you know, whether hip 20 goes through or not, but you know, the goal of this is to reduce that risk a little bit. Um, but I, I do think this gives us just enough flexibility to, to uh, make any, you know, where we can't predict future conditions, make the adjustments that would be needed. I would agree with all of those points. And I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up the discussion. Uh, gentlemen, is there anything more that either of you would like to add uh, about HIP20 or, or, or just in general? I think it's been exciting to watch how quickly the community has rallied behind this. And there's, you know, there's points of debate and there's um, detractors, which there will always be and there should be. Um, but, you know, it's probably been a while, probably since HIP10 that, you know, there was an, coming from somebody that, you know, had issues with HIP10 uh, myself. I, there hasn't been really this rallying behind a um, a, a proposal, um, and it's it's just really cool to see the network develop. And you know, obviously, this is something that people have been thinking about. Specifically, the uh, infinite missions um, has been something that people have been thinking about for a long, long time. And and you know, the community as a whole has become very well educated on the economics of helium and the economics of BME. And, and this feels like the, um, all of that, you know, sort of coming to fruition of, of, of enough of the community having a strong enough understandings of the really technical parts of the economics that, you know, now we can finally, you know, make a very educated, um, uh, improvement on 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 the basic uh, economics of of helium and and you know at, in my you know almost decade of being in and around sort of crypto networks I've I've never really seen um, a community get this invested um, you know this quickly and this early um, and this thoroughly uh, from end to end of the network um, and I think that's it, it's it's pretty cool to see and I think you know, the market's reacting almost immediately to the idea. I think people are, you know, not selling HNT that they might've been selling before. And, you know, as I said before, we saw a sort of a turnaround in, in, in price almost, you know, within the hour of us proposing this. And I think that's, you know, and it, it's not the definitive approval and I don't think it should be, but I, I think it's a pretty good indication. And something that's kind of cool is literally while we were having this conversation, HNT broke back through the $1 mark for the first time in, um, I don't know, a, a, a few weeks after a, a pretty persistent but slow decline. So um, it's, it's pretty cool to see um, the community anecdotally and, 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 and sort of whatever data-driven way you want to consider the the market itself um, show approval for for uh, you know what we're doing here at least in principle yeah I'd like to add to that the scarcest commodity in our current um, world is not money or or something like that it's attention and I think that the helium community is very very lucky to have the attention of so many people who really care about its success. That includes all of you as listeners, as well as all of the people who've been proposing HIPs. You know, we had a, a number of HIPs around proof of coverage improvements recently. Uh, we've had a lot of people contributing their ideas, their thoughts, and their attention to Helium. And I think that that is the core of what makes Helium really special. Um, I'm an investor in a lot of different crypto networks and very few of them get this level of passion and attention from their community members. And I think that that's what uh, is going to mean that Helium will succeed in the long run. Yep, no doubt. I've said it over and over on this podcast, but the level of engagement from people, the quality of engagement is truly unlike anything I've seen before. And, you know, I've been in this since 2010, and I think both of you have as well or maybe even earlier than that. Um, so that's what that's what has me here. That's what keeps me here. That's what makes me you know, continue to be excited every day. And uh, the rate of progress that we've been able to make with community members proposing these incredibly detailed hips that are so well thought out um, and the community coming to consensus quickly and approving them and, and then the team implementing them is just like remarkable to watch every single time. And it seems to only be accelerating. So 
Um, with that being said, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I think this is a really exciting episode that I cannot wait to release. And um, to everyone listening to this, thank you so much for continuing to tune in. And a reminder to check us out in the Discord. We have um, the Hotspot podcast now as a channel. Uh, if you want to give me any feedback on the podcast or you want to request a future topic of discussion, please drop in there and, and let me know. Um, gentlemen, thank, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on here and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks, Armand. Thanks, James. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, bro. Bye.